4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. Andrew, Andrew, what are you doing? Oh, hey, Marn. Uh, so I'm playing through an alternate reality game, and there's a number station puzzle that we just can't solve. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I tried everything else, and I figured that the best way to solve it would be to get into its head and think like a number station. I've been saying numbers into microphones for hours. Okay, well, I, I think I have a better idea. What's that? You could just listen to the Argonauts podcast. Every two weeks, I could let you know the ins and outs of old args and give you a deep dive on how they were created. Uh, do you think we could like have a nuanced discussion about game-making philosophy and how cultures around games have changed as well? Yeah, and you can definitely continue to fail to solve old args along the way. Well, it sure would be cool if that was a podcast you could find to bung with a bunch of other great shows over on the Moonshot Network. You know, it sure would. <laughs> well, cool. Thanks for the invite. Uh, anyways, I'm going to get back to this, though. 23. 19. Okay. And welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast, up with the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're continuing Sword of Summer. That's what the book is called. How are you doing today, Jane? I, I, I don't know why, but I, I felt like I could feel the hesitation in your voice, and I feel like you were about to say House of Hades. I I think I was like, there, there's a weird rhythm happening where it feels like, I, I was going to say, like, I think I was going to say House of Hades, but I was also going to say, like, <laughs> I think I was just going to go for, like, Heroes of Olympus Saga or something like that, which, like, isn't right at all. Uh, I, what you're saying is that my my incompetence on the bonus show, where I have been continually fucking up saying Magnus Chase and the Gods of Asgard, is spreading. I've infected you. You've infected me, so it's your fault. Uh, how, how are you doing today, Jane? <laughs> Uh, I'm doing all right. Um, I'm sleepy, but I'm um, I'm ready and excited to talk about these chapters. Well, that that's weird. Why are you sleepy? It's surely it's not like um, checks watch. Hmm. Well, technically it's one a.m. However, uh, because the clocks have only just gone back, uh, as far as my body is concerned, it's two a.m. Wait, did the clocks go back like tonight? Two days ago, I think. Oh, okay. Wait, did that happen here too? Uh, I think there's like a week delay on it happening in the U.S., oh, so fuck. the time difference actually gets a little bit fucky for a week. It's really annoying. Okay, gotcha. Oh, uh, well, good luck to you, my brave soldier. Thank you. How are you today, Jacqueline? I'm okay. I uh, went did a little bit of Halloween shopping. Did a little bit of. Uh, there won't be a Halloween on episode this year, but I guess this is kind of our Halloween episode. Uh, I it'll I, be a Halloween know, bonus episode. We did our Halloween bonus episodes, that's true, but our Halloween main feed episode, there's there's some scary stuff in this one. There is some scary stuff in these in these chapters. Would you like me to tell you all about it, Jacqueline? I would love to hear about it. Alright. Pull pull in by the campfire and stick a torch under your face as I, I tell you about the spooky happenings of uh, this children's book. It's burning me, it's burning me. <laughs> Uh, chapter 35. Thou shalt not poop on the head of art. Magnus and Sam make it back to shore, and Sam bails to return to her normal life. 
Having no such thing, Magnus returns to the library to meet up with Big Boy and hand over the Apple of Aiden, fulfilling his oath. Big Boy turns up, craps on the head of a statue which represents art, and then eats the apple, while also revealing his identity to Magnus. He is Utgard Loki, no, not that one, king of the frost giants and fated to be Magnus' sworn enemy on the day of Ragnarok. But for now, it's not Ragnarok, so Utgard Loki is content to help Magnus out, since he likes things as they are and isn't eager to bring on the apocalypse. To that end, he tells Magnus that Surt is going to be coming after him. While he's still recovering from getting his ass beaten at the start of the book, he has plenty of minions who can fill in for him. And if they don't get him, Gunilla and the Valkyries will. On that cheery note, Utgard Loki fucks off, leaving Magnus with Heart and Blitz. They bed down for the night in the library doorway and discuss their next move, which seems to be going to Nidavellir, home of the dwarves, including Blitz, to find more information on the rope that binds Fenris Wolf. Blitz also explains bone steel to Magnus. It's a magic type of steel for Norse weapons, made using the carbon from bones and quenched in the blood of the creature it's meant to be the most effective against. Blitz also tells Magnus why he's never seen Hearth do much magic, basically due to his family shaming him he's uncomfortable using it in front of people. On that note, they head to sleep. They have a big day in the morning. Magnus will be traversing the world tree for the first time. Chapter 36. Duck. Sam rejoins the group the next day at the entrance to the world tree, which turns out to be the make-way for duckling statue, what I assume is some kind of local Boston cultural reference to a statue of nine ducklings, which Blitz says represents the nine realms. Because Hearth and Blitz have travelled across the Nine Realms recently, they need to have a cooling off period before they can actually open any portals again, which means that Magnus needs to do it. While Magnus is trying to figure out how to activate the ducks and open a portal, Gunilla shows up, with Magnus's hallmates in tow, clearly press-ganged into trying to capture him. Hearth slows them up with some quick magic, just long enough for Magnus to figure out how to use the Sword of Summer to open a portal, and for them to jump through onto the branches of Ygradzil. Chapter 37. I am trash-talked by a squirrel. The gang have escaped Gunilla, but now they have to navigate the perils of the World Tree, whose branches extend out over a fall into an infinite white void. Magnus follows the Sword of Summer's vibes to a portal back into one of the realms, but it doesn't look like Nidavellir, too bright and sunny for a dwarf realm. While they hesitate, Hearth accidentally falls into a patch of moss and gets stuck. There's no time to rescue him either, as Ratatosk the evil squirrel is approaching. Sam stays behind, using her hijab as a magical disguise to hide herself in Hearth until she can get him free, while Magnus and Blitz bail into the portal. Chapter 38. I break down in a Volkswagen. The pair arrive in Volkwagner and catch their breath while recovering from the psychic damage Ratatosk squeaks inflicted on them, since they're filled with horrible insults and lies. Thankfully, there are worse places to do that. Volkwagner is also full of dead warriors, but they're much more chill than the Einherji. Welcoming Magnus to their wonderful sunny realm and welcoming Blitz... home? Blitz leads Magnus to the Hall of Many Seats, a palace that houses Freya, the god of this realm. Magnus' aunt on his dad's side and, in a shock twist, Blitz's mother. Blitz suspects that the Sword of Summer led them here because Freya can, unfortunately, be of help on their quest. Chapter 39. Freya is pretty, she has cats. Freya is very passive-aggressive and unpleasant to be around, especially for Blitz, but not unhelpful. She fills in some backstory for Magnus, telling him that his dad, Frey, originally sat on Odin's throne to try and find her when she'd gone missing, and instead saw an ice giant who he fell madly in love with. He traded away the Sword of Summer to Skirnir in exchange for bringing him the ice giant, thus sealing his fate to be unarmed at Ragnarok and subsequently killed. The sword, as it turns out, is a little bit alive, and grudges Frey for trading it away so easily. Magnus must learn to master its power now, which according to Frey involves more than just killing stuff. But Magnus will also have to kill stuff, like Surt when he tries to free Frenwolf. 
If he fails and Surt undoes the ropes, Magnus will have to be ready and retrieve a spare rope from Nidavela to tie Fenriswolf down again, which will be a real bastard to do since it took the Asgardians three goes with their combined might to do it the first time and it cost Dia his hand. The group will find the wolf on Lingvi, the Isle of Heather, in six days, when it appears on the full moon. In the meantime, they need to go and get that extra rope. Freya insists that Blitz and Magnus visit a dwarf with a deadly grudge against Blitz, as he's the only one who can make the rope, and also the only one who can forge a nice new set of earrings for the goddess. She can't go to get it herself, for reasons we will discuss later. After deliberately inducing some tears to give them some walking around money, Freya cries red gold apparently, she bids them goodbye and sends them to Nidavele. Chapter 40, my friend evolved from a... nope, can't say it. Magnus and Blitz arrive in Nidavela, which looks weirdly like Boston, although Blitz claims that it's Boston that looks like Nidavela. They discuss the fact that they're technically cousins, and also the fact that Freya doesn't come up this end of town herself anymore, because back in the day she was so enamoured with dwarven jewellery that she would routinely end up offering her hand in marriage in exchange for the stuff, and end up siring dwarven kids from that, including Blitz, who seems quite bitter about the circumstances of his birth. The two head to Nabi's Tavern, where Blitz pays the proprietor of the same name to put them in contact with the guy they need to talk to, hoping that he doesn't just kill Blitz when they meet again. While they wait for Nabi to pass on the message, Magnus and Blitz talk about dwarven culture, including the fact that all of their crockery and furniture is built to be worthy of a name in history, and the fact that their culture records parentage matrilineally, and also the fact that dwarves evolved from the maggots that ate the bodies of the giants after the Asgardians slew a bunch of big giants and forged the Nine Realms. So, Jacqueline, what do you think of these chapters? I think that Rick Riordan has realized that he has a very specific strength. He's like he understands his strengths now, and he's playing to all of them, and mm-hmm. it makes me really happy to see. Which strengths would you say those are? You know how we always talk in like Trace Navari about how like lush and detailed the uh, just like feeling of being in San Antonio is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or, like, for instance, just, like, how great, like, it feels to just be in a location for a while when mm. when, when Rick Riordan is writing about it. Magnus Chase is just a series about going to cool locations, and Rick Riordan's good at writing that. Yeah, there's, like, this this feels, like, um, filled out in a way that, like, a lot of latter-day, like, Heroes of Olympus, for example, really didn't, where it felt like nice descriptions of places fell by the wayside, that you're right, this is like a story about going from cool location to cool location and Rick like adding a lot of like really lush detail and like sensory description that can like really make you feel like you're there. What did you think about them? Uh, I think these chapters were pretty good. Uh, I don't have a lot of complaints about them. This is just kind of the, the adventure is continuing, you know? It, it is. Yeah. I, it, it's continuing, uh, but it has to stop a little bit first. I love, I love that we have to take time to stop because Sam has to go to class. I yeah, I I I love Sam's like double life subplot that's going on. That's just like very fun conceptually. When have we ever had a double life before in any of Rick Riordan's books? Basically, never. No, Percy kind of like gestures at it in like the opening of a couple of his books, but it never lasts beyond like the first five chapters. The adventure is never interrupt. Like once you get out on your quest, it's always just the quest. The quest is just you're still hanging out at the hub world. You're still hanging out in Boston, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that makes it really like that makes it keep you know the importance of the of Magnus's home uh, really stay in your mind. I like that. Yeah, I think that's like 
it it utilizes like what we know about Magnus's character in a really interesting way, like the fact that um when he Hearth and Blitz are like bedding down in like the library doorway, uh, to like wait for when they go to the nine uh, onto the will tree, like uh, Magnus remarks that like this is not unusual for them. They've actually probably like camped out here before, and it, it just does a good job of making it feel like Magnus is a character in this world. Yeah. I, I want to talk about Hearth and Bliss, actually, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think I was a little bit hasty before in how to, how I, not judge them, but sort of describe them, where mm-hmm. I I indicated that they were characters who were, like, not actually, I was like, they're not actually homeless. Uh, <laughs> I, I basically said that, like, at the end of the, like, I, you know, I was like, oh, it seems like all the characters here who are, you know, unhoused are actually, you know, pretending to be or, you know, sort of faking it. Mm. That's not really the case with either of them at all. You know, it. I think this is actually Rick Riordan getting at a sort of nuance. Um, Hearth and Blitz both theoretically have homes to go home to. It not really though, like, and that sort of is really detailed in these chapters. Like, we get why they are based. Like, they they talk about how often they travel between worlds. They are going from place to place constantly. I don't think that's all just because they are like looking out for Magnus. I think that's just how mm. they're living their lives. Yeah, they they definitely like come across as drifters, like as as like um, Blitz tells Magnus like about Hearth. There is this like. Yeah, sure, he does technically have a family who he can go home to, but his family, like, are ashamed of him for, like, picking magic as a discipline, and also, I don't think I mentioned this in the summaries, are, like, very, kind of, like, judge him for being deaf, deaf and see it as, like, a personal failing, despite the fact that it's literally not his fault. Yes, he's he's pushed out of his home by like bigotry. That yeah, that, that is a classic case of a thing that happens all the time in the real world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I I think I want to. This is a I guess self correction. I think a little bit on just like, mm-hmm. it's you know th- sometimes there's nuance to things and you know situations get a bit more. Gen- there there are situations like this all the time, and I like that we are getting into that with these characters. I don't think anyone is going to blame you for making that assumption, considering uh, Rick Ryden's treatment of homelessness in his previous books. But it is nice to see that that's that doesn't seem to be the case here. Yeah, and I mean, same with Blitz, because I wouldn't want to live around fucking Freya. No, this seems bad. Maybe I mean, maybe I would. That's because she seems like a very like she has a sort of entrancing aura. So if I was around her, I'd probably be like, yes, I want to be around her, uh, uh-huh. but. Just reading this objectively, I'm like, this seems awful and like a bad situation for him to be in, uh, with when, especially when he goes into all of that in g- gruesome detail in Nidavalir, N- Nidal, what the fuck is it called? Uh, N- N- Nidalavir? Nidavalir? Nidavalir. Yeah. I, that, I don't know why that one specifically was hard for me. <laughs> We've we've done a surprisingly good job with the pronunciation so far, I reckon. Uh huh. Um, but we can get to all that in a little bit. First, most important thing: Rick Riordan sort of front loads the bullshit. On these he, yeah, I literally like there. There is a note in the margin of my copy that says "fuck off, Rick." <laughs> it, a pin sword. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. 
This is when uh, Magnus is trying to like glamour the Sword of Summer into like something that he can hide easily, and yeah, he suggests pen to it, and the sword like seems to reject that idea and think that it's stupid. Which you get one of those. There was one of those in Kane Chronicles where Carter one time was like, "Man, I really wish I could control water. That'd be so cool." Yeah, I think he already kind of did it with this one too. Like he he sort of you know he did the whole water thing. Magnus was like, "Well, I can't breathe water," uh, <laughs> so I don't know. I I think he's he's overstepping his bounds a little bit here. Required and get back get get back to your fucking desk. I don't know. Although you know to. The, the other, like, crossover we're getting with Percy Jackson stuff, I actually like quite a lot. Uh-huh. Where um, Magnus, uh, like, in the first chapter is, like, one of his little brief asides is he thinks about the fact that his funeral services probably happened by now, and that leads him to thinking about Annabeth. And I like that he he kind of feels a pull to, like, go to her and, like, try and get her help, but is also, like, worried about causing trouble for her. And you can just, like... It's nice that this is being treated as like something with emotional stakes and a real part of Magnus's character, as opposed to just like a fun cameo from a character we know. Right. Yeah. It, you can feel Rick Riordan setting up for the big phone call at the end of the book, right? Oh, absolutely. It 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 makes him feel like he has this genuine like family history with her, and that you know obviously that moment really was kind of great when they met at the funeral home, but just him mm-hmm. once he. <sighs> It was not real to him when he saw like her and Frederick walking around Boston. Uh, like he sort of a a very real connection was reforged when they met, and now yeah. he can't just dismiss it anymore. And so he has to just live with that idea of just like, yep, my family are around and they're they saw me die, you know. Yeah, I I was worried that Annabeth showing up in the first couple of chapters was going to be like again to go back to King Chronicles. It's like that um, the Pegasus that Carter sees for like five seconds in Red Pyramid to just be like, yeah, this is the same universe as Percy Jackson. Then it never comes up again, really. And that would be wild. Uh, like like I could see that <laughs> being something Rick Riordan did at a worse point, but at that yeah, at having he set this up in the last fucking book, like of of Heroes of Olympus. Yeah, God. I think I think we can safely say that Rick Ryan has progressed since Kane Chronicles. Yeah, good good work, Rick. Um, you know he he also is continuing to have wolf trauma. I always like to call it out because it's always there. Mm-hmm. What actually? What do you think of the? What do you think of the form he does ultimately choose the sword to have the the necklace? Is it cooler or less cool than pocket chain? Hmm. This is. I don't think either of these are good. I think Pocket Chain is a lot cooler than Necklace, personally. I like how Magnus dismisses Pocket Chain because he's like, uh, it's not the 90s, I don't want this. People don't is wear necklaces anymore. It's th- a po- Pocket Chain's a 90s thing? I guess they are. I mean, they're kind of like grunge a little bit, right? I see. Um, I, 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 also I would d- describe Magnus as very grungy, is the thing. He is grungy. He's he a grungy looks like Kurt Cobain. He literally, do- I guess he's trying to reject that now. I guess so. He needs to make up his mind about whether he or not he's going to be Cobain bounding. <laughs> we should talk about the man of the hour. We're not one of the men of the hour. Uh, Udgard Loki. I want to know. I want to. I just want to dig into this guy. I like this guy. He's fucking cool. I, mean, I, do, I don't. And he's. He seems like kind of a shithead, but I'm. I'm, get, I'm getting set vibes. Isn't it? cool to just run into randomly the most powerful sorcerer of Jotunheim 
<laughs> Loki of the Outlands, King of the Mountain Giants, Illusion Maker. This guy is and so many fucking so huh. incredibly funny to then for Magnus to immediately be like, wait, like the Loki, and for this guy who has all those very impressive titles to immediately be like, no, not that one. Fuck off. <laughs> Stop asking <laughs> me about the more famous Loki. God, he needs like a little like business card to hand out. Like, I'm not that Loki. I am Utgard Loki. It's different. <laughs> it's a common name. It's like if I was like, are you, wait, are you, your name is John. Are you John Lennon? This Okay, to, to be fair, this is more like fucking... I'm watching uh, Double Zeta Gundam at the minute, and there's a character okay. who shows up in that called uh, Shara. Okay. C-H-A-R-A. Uh, no relation to Shah. Nothing to do with him at all in any way, despite the fact that she has that name and she works for Zeon. Which I, I think I think the Magnus's confusion is understandable, because that's something that I was confused about in a different context. That's fair. Yeah, it's... But I guess Ugard Loki specifically is like Loki's a really common name for giants, so <laughs> I, I it just feels to me like if you were like, oh man, your name is Bob, that's awesome. I love uh, what's the thing that Bob has done? That one I Titan. Love, I love your work and and Rick Riordan's books. Yes, <laughs> Ugard Loki, like he's he's fucking scary a little bit. Like he's like. The way he bends reality around himself just like instantly like makes his sort of I guess threat level or power level really clear. Yeah, the the fact that he's like making Magnus think that he's alone while like simultaneously making Blitz and Ha think that they're on their own and having a conversation with both of them at the same time is just like very cool. Definitely, yeah. Uh, and he also super quickly establishes like his own motivations about why he we're learning that the factions the big faction game here of like people who want to speed up ragnarok versus the ones who want to slow it down it seems like a lot of the ones who want to slow it down are really kind of just like they don't have any like big like moral objection to ragnarok happening they're just like i like things to stay the same which is what guard loki basically says he's like i yeah. i like the way things are i'm having fun it's exactly what um, Mimir said earlier as well, where he was just like, yeah, profits are good right now. I don't want Ragnarok to happen. And that's a good, that's a good problemization of like the default hero stance, right? Yeah, I I really like so far that um, uh, here, the Magnus Chase does not seem to have like the same clear like good evil binary that we saw in Kane Chronicles and Percy Jackson. Like, the, the politics of the gods seem to be a lot murkier and a lot more driven by, like, personal ambition. Yeah, absolutely. Because people can easily uh, want Ragnarok to happen. Like, we haven't seen like, an example of this yet. People can want Ragnarok not to happen and still be, like, the worst person you could meet. Uh, or, they <laughs> theoretically, they could want Ragnarok to happen faster. Maybe they have good intentions behind it, you know? Uh, and that is fascinating because Rick Riordan is almost always a status quo is the best writer right yeah absolutely and so to give the big representatives of that side uh these sort of negative traits like make them kind of villainous or make them you know suspicious i think that means that we're in for something a bit more complex hopefully yeah especially because like the, inherently what rick has set up is that the status quo cannot be maintained like, even if Magnus is able to kick the can down the road for, like, a hundred years or whatever, Ragnarok is going to happen. Mm-hmm. 
So I hadn't I hadn't really thought about that, but yeah, I hope this is this maybe is like a little bit of an examination of that kind of status quo way of writing is his his works. I think that would be cool. I especially with the way that like Trials of Apollo, I feel like that could be another instance of that, right? Yeah. Uh, just sort of like examining the role of the gods and like what it really like. I I don't really know what's gonna happen there, but you know, again, points to the title, Trial of Apollo. Hmm. Uh, Bone Steel's fucking sick. This is so much fucking cooler than Celestial Bronze or Imperial Gold. Yes, it is. Can you can you just go? You 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 described it in the summary, but. Uh, to go into a bit more detail, they talk about how, you know, swords are usually forged with some sort of carbon, like coal. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be coal. It can be bones. And usually you would quench it in something like water to make it harden. Instead, it's blood to with, with bone steel. And specifically, the blood of whatever you want this sword to be the best at killing. And we don't know what... Uh, this is the we don't know what Magnus's sword is the best at killing yet, but eventually we will probably find out. It will probably turn out to be fire giants, I reckon. It could be fire giants. It would be interesting to me if it was like god blood. That would be actually that I guess that would kind of make sense because like it's isn't it destined to be like used to kill Frey during Ragnarok? That's my thought. Are we just like getting our hopes up that someone will do a god killing spree? I I want it to happen eventually. Sir <laughs> wants to do a god killing spree, so I guess we're rooting for him right now. <laughs> uh, but no, like this is making this so like gritty and you know vi- It's a tool of absolute violence from creation to destruction, and Magnus is disgusted by that. Yeah, it's. Aside from just being, like, objectively sicker than uh, the way that Celestial Bronze and stuff works, there is, like, like with um, the way that um, the Hotel Valhalla training stuff works, there was so much more of a focus on, like, the actual horrible consequences of violence. Yeah, there is. And and not and it's, like, I like that we're getting to see Magnus's reaction because we talked about how he is, like, he's a realistic guy and stuff. Like, you know, he, he cares a lot about, like, you know, what's happening in front of him. He he doesn't, like, revel in violence the way that we, we've seen that he is, like, not cool with the Valhalla stuff. No, absolutely uh, not. And I like that that remains consistent with him, like, it's, but it's not like he rejects the sword either. He still has to carry it. And I think that's what makes this so interesting, that he, like, is forced to bear that burden, sort of. Especially because, like... This like as Frey mentions later, like there there is a lot more to the um the sort of summer than like uh just killing shit. Even though that's the one where like the emphasis is being placed so much on this is a tool for killing stuff. Yeah. I I wonder what that would be. I, I like I don't have any guesses as to what it could be actually. Uh you stab people but it makes them better. Maybe. Maybe you st- maybe uh oh, hmm. What if it makes flowers bloom? Because it's, it's the sort of summer. Oh, that's true. Maybe it get, makes you just get really fucking sweaty and hot. It, it, it makes you get a bunch of sweat in your crack. And while you're distracted by that, Magnus cuts your head off. <laughs> oh, uh, the make way for duckling sculpture. Is this real? Yes, it is. Have you okay. not seen this? I'll, I'll, it's very cute. I it's, have not seen this. I'll, I'll send you a picture. 
but there's a there's a children's book called Make Way for Ducklings. I I've never I don't think I ever read it, but it's you know it's popular. Um, it's just like a it's just a classic sort of children's book, and I you know Rick Riordan is doing his thing of just like making a monument mythologically important. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that here. It's not like the Capitol building. It's just like these ducks that everyone likes. <laughs> Okay, now being able to see the ducks, because I'd, I'd imagine these are, like, fairly sizable duck statues. No, these are, like, life-size. Yeah, they're and life-size. Just like, they're, they're just little ducks. The the image of, like, Magnus faffing about with a sword while, like, a bunch of Valkyries charge at him over a bunch of, like, tiny bronze <laughs> ducks is actually very funny. It's incredibly funny, and it's also kind of fucking sick when he does get it to work. It's sick when he gets it to work. I don't think it's quite as sick as uh, what Hearth does to slow down the Valkyries, though. Yes! Yes! Wait, we haven't even talked about... We haven't even, like, discussed this. I was right! You were fuck yeah, you called... There is, again, a note in my book that says Jacqueline called it. I... But as soon as Magnus turns around, just sees X, Ganella leading all of his hallmates uh, to fucking bring him in, I was clapping and cheering and hooting and hollering. Yeah, I I will say um, Magnus, you know, I think understandably responds to that by being quite angry because he's like, oh, well, these guys helped me and now Ganella has like press ganged them into hunting me, probably against their wills. That fucking sucks. I do think that would have hit a bit harder if we got any dialogue from any of them. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Well, because this is probably going to, like... The the classic Rick Riordan move would be as soon as we do hear some dialogue from them, it's going to be like, wait, Magnus, let us help you, right? Probably. But I don't know, maybe they'll be like, oh, Magnus, you got us into the situation, let's fuck you up. I I, I think that could be interesting. It could be. Uh, But yeah... Not as sick as what Hearth did. Can you go into a bit of detail on that? Uh, wait, first, I think uh, they should uh, name this uh, gang of like criminals who they've gotten to do their dirty work, uh, Task Force X, because X is leading it, and for no other reason. That's pretty good. Uh, I think they should be called uh, the Inheriai Squad. I mean, I guess that also makes sense. They can't be the Suicide Squad, because canonically you can't get into Valhalla if you commit suicide. Fuck, that's true, yeah. <laughs> oh god. Well, would Harley Quinn... Hmm, never mind. Fascinated by what the end of that sentence was gonna be. Hearth. What does Hearth do? Hearth fucking puts them in, like, a localized time loop while they're running at them, so, like, all the Valkyries and Einherjir are just, like running on basically a fucking treadmill of like Magnus describes it as like an old cartoon where like the characters are running against like a looping background and it's just like that's such a sick idea it's 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 Amuro running past the, the same three trees over and over again <laughs> it's that's so good like runic magic is big like it it's reality warping that's i i just think that that's like Magic is usually like a a blast for for these books. This this makes the House of Life magicians look like little bitches. If I'm being honest, like oh, uh-huh. you can turn a stick into a snake. Wow. <laughs> you can summon penguins. Okay, kid, five year old, however old Felix is. <laughs> God, poor Felix. Oh man, what if Felix comes back in a big way as a cameo in Magnus Chase? <laughs> 
listen, we've had eagles, we've had pigeons, we've had ravens. Why not penguins? Why not penguins? Uh, I I do think that like playing a little bit with like the genre, with like the medium of like just like imagine a cartoon for a little bit instead of a like instead of a book, right? Like mm-hmm. that that's good. It makes his reluctance a bit more like it makes sense. Like it seems like runic magic isn't something to toy around with if if it does this. Yeah, like it it both seems like a incredibly dangerous reality warping thing and also as soon as he uses the magic, as soon as he's finished casting the spell, he fucking like drops and Blitz has to carry him. Uh-huh. Yeah, and he doesn't really that's sort of the last we we hear of Hearth for for probably a little while. Until he falls in some moss. Well, yeah, of course. Um, I guess we should talk about the big tree. It's is Rick Riordan doing like a Lovecraft with this? I yeah, I think we are we are we're getting back. We're going a little bit back to House of Hades, I think, more than Lovecraft, where you know Percy and Annabeth spent most of that book like on this like giant organism that is like incomprehensibly vast and like seems to have nothing but like an infinite void around it yeah yeah that's true i mean it was the specifically them talking about like the longer you stay here the more your mind will be twisted right oh no Uh, you're right okay never mind that is totally lovecraft bullshit (laughs) and and, you know rick you're you're treading into dangerous territory by combining lovecraft with like norse uh with some with like norse stuff yeah that is dangerous territory especially I guess also now that I think about it, Harald is basically the fucking a fucking Innsmouth person. Oh God, you're right. Wow. <laughs> Maybe this could just be this could be Lovecraft. We we'll have to keep an eye out for this now that it's sort of shown shown a bigger face. Uh, they do some platforming shit. <laughs> they do do some platform. <laughs> uh, and Hearth proves to be sort of a damsel in distress. A little bit, yeah. He just like trips ass backwards into like moss that is quicksand yes and then sam sam's hijab turns out to be like an, an invisibility cloak it's like a cam it's like magical camouflage cloth it's like how the fucking elvish cloaks work in lord of the rings where you just like put it over you and now you look like a rock <laughs> is that how they work That's they do awesome. that like one time okay okay which means that i'm sure that like in the summer early in uh i almost said rick Riordan. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, <laughs> all authors I, are, are Rick Riordan now. I want to read whatever, like, completely unhinged, like, Silmarillion source text that Rick would write for this. God, maybe that's what Nine from the Nine Worlds is. <laughs> oh, God. This whole sequence is so video games to me. Like, it, it's not just the platforming, it's that there's like a big unkillable mob that spawns if you spin too long in the special area. <laughs> God, yeah. And we'll, we'll we'll come back later with a powered up weapon and be able to actually take it down in a slightly disappointing boss fight. Maybe, yeah. Oh, Ratatosk is pretty cool, actually. I, I like that it just... I was... The entire chapter, I was like, why the fuck is this called I Am Trash Talked by a Squirrel? It doesn't talk. Uh, and then it screams, and it makes Magnus feel really bad. I gotta say, I think we we were justifiably cautious about, like, the first time that Ratatosk was mentioned, uh, just as, like, oh, haha, it's it's a wacky 
Wacky Squirrel being a threat. This is kind of like, you know, 2010's random humor. I think, like, this chapter actually does a pretty good job of uh, selling that uh, Ratatosk is actually kind of fucking scary. Yes, absolutely. Like, I think he's described as, like, Magnus says that, like, if you can imagine, like, uh, a Sherman tank with red hair and giant tusks charging straight at you across a tree branch, that is about a tenth as scary as it actually was. And it's not even like Rick Riordan is doing, like, um... He's not going that far out of the description of a normal squirrel but huge. He's just making a normal squirrel but huge sound scary. Yeah. And, you know, he doesn't have to add, like, and it had a thousand eyes or anything like that. Mm. It's just scary when a huge animal is coming after you. When it's coming at you and it's telling you that your vest looks stupid. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Oh, God. Um... But not just, I think part of the thing with Ratatosk is that he's kind of a character a little bit. Like, not too much, but, like, we learn that he has, like, lore in a very, like, just great mythology shit moment. Yeah, he's Uh, just, like, a a weird little bastard who runs back and forth between, like, is it the eagle at the top of the world tree and a snake at the bottom of it that are always, like, trying to kill it and he keeps them, like, riled up? Basically, yeah, there's the, the eagle and the dragon. He... Mm. It's specifically said that he just wants to see Ragnarok come faster in a way that is almost exactly he wants to watch the world burn. Mm-hmm. Like, Ratatosk is the Joker. <laughs> Rick okay. Ryan was definitely watching The Dark Knight when he wrote that, but... I mean, it's later... He might have been watching uh, the, the Suicide Squad movie. No, no, that was 2016. Oh, okay, okay, you're right, yeah. Maybe he was watching, he was just, like, thinking about it because he was watching, um, Batman v Superman? Also 2016. Fuck me, okay. He was Uh, watching Batman Assault on Arkham. He was, maybe he was just playing, uh, Arkham City. Uh, my condolences. (laughs) Oh, God. I also, this is a random fact I learned the other day. Apparently Pro-ZD voices Ratatosk in God of War, uh, video game. What the f- <laughs> And there, Ratatosk is like a funny little squirrel companion that follows around Kratos, I think. Well, see, now I need to imagine Ratatosk saying to Magnus, you couldn't save your mother in Pro-ZD's dulcet tones. <laughs> you couldn't save your- I, I can't do a Pro-ZD impression. <laughs> no, me neither. Um... Which is a shame, because if we could, we would probably, like, make make good money voice acting. Yeah, that's true. I guess there's a reason that ProZD is doing fucking, uh, like, Borderlands or whatever, and I'm just here on a podcast. <laughs> this is when we get into, uh, Folkvanger, Vanaheim, Sestromnir, all these places. Many Norse words. This is kind of an amazing place. I kind of wish I lived here. This place just seems fucking chill. It's... Magnus is, like, scared of it, but honestly, it just... Like, you're right, it just seems chill. I just want to hang out here for a few thousand millennia. I I really like that Magnus is scared of this place. Because I think that is, like... Th- this is a very consistent character trait for him, is, like, when Annabeth was like, Oh, I know a place where you'll be safe. And Magnus is, like, so used to, like, having to have his guard up all the time and be absolutely like, hyper-vigilant to, like, threats that are, like around every corner from two years of being homeless that he like that freaks him out yeah i think it's the same here where like the fact that there is no obvious threat right in front of him actually like scares him more because it means that he constantly in suspense waiting for something to happen it's kind of the same feeling he had at hotel valhalla 
Yeah. Uh, but first of all, it's, it's introduced with like a picturesque little frog on a lily pad. <laughs> Just like <laughs> being Magnus seeing that, and that made me happy. To panda um, to you directly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a question for you. Is Magnus like good? What was his mom's deal? Uh, he he comments that like he he says like my mom would have rousted these warriors to their feet, led them on a ten mile hike, then insisted they set up their own campsites if they want any dinner. This Did that happen this, to you? This is insane to me. I think this doesn't uh-huh. sound consistent with like the characterization we've heard about Magnus's mom. She seemed pretty chill. Yeah. I, I feel like th- this must be like, this must be setting something up, right? Yeah, I I didn't get the impression that his mom was like an insane prepper, but like maybe that's something that's going to be introduced. Or that like just like that she's that intense even, mm. um, and I I think maybe there is something to like her being so flip floppy with like uh. Like, okay, come watch Jaws, but close your eyes. It's really scary, but you have to watch it, too. Like, maybe she mm. just is, like, a character, meant to be this character who is sort of contradictory in a way that we're, like, maybe maybe we're picking up on something that will be explored later on, I hope. Yeah, it could even be, that, like, that that contradiction could be, like, building up to... Because one of, one of the moments that I really liked early in this book was um, Magnus misremembering about, like, the... Um the runestones in uh uncle randall's office and he he thinks about how like he slowly warped the memory over the years until as far as he was concerned they were dominoes and i wonder if we're gonna dig into some stuff about how like you know it's been two years magnus kind of misremembers his mom and maybe like remembers her more favorably than she might have deserved and this is like like uh, one of her more shitty traits like bubbling to the surface in ways that like he doesn't usually think about well memory and sort of perception is what this book seems to be all about so far like we we i i think even in this uh, chapters we start off by magnus and uh, hearth and blitz their perception being muddled so that they don't realize they're next to each other the entire time i think that i think he might be onto something with that that's definitely like that's definitely very possible uh that I guess since we evaluated Valhalla as like how well is this training warriors to go fight, uh, what do you think about Vanaheim? You know we gave Valhalla a lot of shit, but I guess it could have been worse. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm I... happy for these people. I'm glad that they get to spend quite a lot of time just like sitting around enjoying themselves. They're gonna be fucking slaughtered at Ragnarok. Yeah, it's interestingly enough though it's kind of the same thing like we talked about valhalla being just like you go to war every day you're always reminded that you're set for war Mm -hmm. we talked literally just now about how magnus has to carry around a sword that is like the most gruesome like battlement thing ever they live in a boat that they're going to sail to their deaths one day this is also true yeah this is this is a really like cool little detail that like the palace that Freya lives in is just like a boat that's been flipped upside down because that's how Vikings built houses. And then at Ragnarok, they'll just flip it back over again. Yeah, it's like funny. And also like an interesting little detail about like, hey, that's a little history tidbit for you, right? Yeah. Um, but also just like, I think that's, you know, very, has a lot of symbolic weight. Mm-hmm. And we should talk about Freya. We should. She is pretty. She's pretty. Hey, Magnus. Hey, Magnus. Magnus. 
Why do you want to fuck your aunt? He he seems to indicate that he's like he he talks about like oh i was looking at her midriff and her and how nice she looked and then i had to snap myself out being like no magnus that's my aunt that's your aunt what are you what are you doing he i cannot stress this enough he's he talks he's like okay i'm looking at her shoulder okay that's not okay looking into her eyes okay no that's not safe either looking at her belly button ooh, even her belly button isn't safe uh and then and then looks at her eyebrow and seems to develop an eyebrow fetish because of it. <laughs> I, I'm i not, like, making things up. This is just what's happening no, that's, in the that's book. that's in the book. He just becomes preoccupied with how hot he finds her, like, and her eyebrow. Like, I get that, you know, as as with pretty much any pantheon, for, like, there there is going to be, be, like incest in the mythology that you're kind of going to have to deal with when you're adapting this into a book but i feel like you don't need to like add more incest to the characters that you added (laughs) probably not i mean it's interesting kind of like this is there there is also the fact that like if i if i had a nickel for every protagonist we're following uh who um had like some kind of attraction to a family member i'd have two nickels which isn't a lot but it's weird that it's happened twice Who's the other one? Uh, Sam, because her um, fiancé is also a uh, distant relation, a cousin. Oh, sure, sure, yeah. I mean, if we're talking about, like, sexuality isn't a topic that comes up a lot in Rick Riordan's books, right? No, definitely not. But I I guess that could be a theme here, like a a light theme. Because Mm -hmm. if we're talking about this as, like, a book that is for, like, his growing, his, like, uh, like older, like, his aging audience, then I could see him being, like, you know what, you know, you're, uh, at a certain point, you start to see women's eyebrows and think, that's really sexy. (laughs) Rick, Rick Ryden says, at a certain point, you're gonna think that you want to fuck your aunt, and that's normal and okay, and his audience are gonna be like, are you okay, bud? You good, Rick? (laughs) Oh, man. But, yeah, this is... Man. Compare this to, like, how he describes, like, Aphrodite slash Venus, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or I guess even who is, like, one of the love goddesses and, um, in, in, like, like love or beauty goddesses in Cain Chronicles? Bast. I know or she's Bast. not strictly that, but that's, like, that's kind of her role, where she's, like, oh, she's the temptress who's seducing bears or whatever. Was Towerette also like that? Because we did have the Towerette titty trance. I did. Carter did keep looking at Towerette's tits, but I think that was that was less of a sexuality thing and more of a haha gross hippo lady thing. Okay, okay. Uh, Magnus very pointedly does not do that at any point here. Mm-hmm. Um, but but just like with Aphrodite and Venus. The way that her thing works is that she's always shifting and changing, right? Yeah. Freya does not do that. She is one form, and she is just, like, the most beautiful possible version of that form, is is the way she's described. She's, you know, dripping with beautiful jewelry. I think Magnus describes her as wearing, like, a halter top uh, with sexy exposed shoulders. (laughs) And it's just, like... She is one being, and she creates this, like, aura of horny, kind of. <laughs> Just, like, chill and horny. No, I mean, she she keeps, like, um, 
a, a band of himbos like immediately on hand at all times. I don't think that's that's unreasonable to assume. The fucking what are they called? The goddamn uh, Dimitri and the Do Runs. <laughs> that's a who valiantly swerved off route, route one to not hit a busload of school trip. They were drunk driving and in the wrong lane, and they. <laughs> They had to. Sw- they died by, <laughs> so they wouldn't kill school children. They were gonna kill, and because they were hot enough for her, Freya counted that as allowing them to get into Vanaheim. <laughs> I guess it really, it really is impossible to like separate Freya from any kind of like commentary on like sexuality and stuff, considering what we then learn about in the next chapter. <laughs> she, I don't know how to say this. This awake. This awakened a memory of reading Gospel of Loki for me. <laughs> Wait, oh, that's the one you described to me, right? Yeah, this was this was the like the um the the Norse sagas from Loki's perspective book that I read a while ago. Uh, this this scene was uh, particularly lurid in that. Really? Okay. <laughs> I was gonna say, Rick Riordan describes this. If we're among friends here, it's okay if I say this. He describes it like a hentai plot. Here's the thing, Jacqueline. It just is that. <laughs> It just is that. Okay. <laughs> this she just this has a corruption tag on it. I'm sorry. She just keeps going down to Nadavalir and like, ooh, the jewelry is so nice. Oh, I'll buy this one. Oh, but I have to do what to get it? Oh, I guess I will. And she's just like, actually, I kind of like doing this for more and more and more jewelry. <laughs> and it's insane. And by the time we get to this point, she's like, no, I've gone cold turkey. I can't keep doing this. Oh, God. I... So this is just, like, mythologically accurate, you're saying? I, I don't I don't know about accurate to mythology, but this was exactly what happened in um in like Gospel of Loki, and I know that was like based relatively closely on the original stuff. It's fucking and sucking her way around town. Basically. Oh God, I. <laughs> this isn't it. I. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Blitz has some Blitz has some issues. Poor Blitz. <laughs> Poor guy, he he has delivers maybe one of the Ross lines in the like one of the just like like goddamn dude. Uh-huh. Uh When he when he like is explaining the whole deal about that, uh, and he ends it off by saying, "You say I'm a demigod, I say I'm a receipt," and that's just a good fucking line. That's an extremely good line. I also like the other one where he um is saying he doesn't like the term demigod. He feels more like it just means that he was born with a target on his back. That's, Which I feel like yeah. is very true to the experience of all the other demigods we've met. I feel bad for this guy. I I'll be, I feel bad for all the fucking characters in this book. But, like, why would he ever want to live any... Why would he ever want to be in fucking Folkvanger or uh, Nidavellar, right? Like, there there is no place for this man, and that's really sad. Yeah, it's it's it really sucks, especially because, like... Fuck circumstances of his birth aside, we really do get the impression that Freya is just, like, a shit mom. Yeah. Where she is constantly, like, passive-aggressively, like, needling Blitz on his clothing choices and, like, uh, ragging on him for, like, whatever series of events led to him being, like, sworn to Mimir. Blitz even, like, has to, like, try and step in when she is, like, ragging on Magnus for some stuff as well. And you can tell that he's like he's kind of sick of this and also used to it. Yeah, he. It's kind of like the 
I don't know, protective older brother thing a little bit. Like, right? Protective like, hey, older I cousin, to, I guess. I know how to deal with this shit. I'm, I'm not going to let... Like, this is a another, like, sort of real world. Th- I know how to deal with our family shit. Mm-hmm. You're you're just entering into it. Don't let me let me stand up for you. And I I love Blitz. Yeah. I, there's a lot. There's there's some funny bits here. Uh, we, we get our first days of the week joke, which, you know, had to come eventually, but was very good. I think that's. Yeah, I, I thought it was pretty good. I like that it is like it's very subtle. I think relatively as as like if you're like a kid reading this for the first time who's never thought about this stuff, the way that it is just like dropped in a conversation that um, fucking Freya will say like, oh yeah, this will happen on Thor's day. Magnus will correct her and be like, no, do you mean Thursday? And Freya will be like, yeah, that's what I said. And it doesn't really like elaborate on it any more than that. It just like leaves leaves a young reader to put the pieces together about that. I think is really nice. Yeah. Not sure how a young reader would react to the rest of the stuff in these chapters, but you know, be an interesting probably, experience. Probably just like, oh man, that's messed up. Oh, cool dwarves. <laughs> dwarves are cool, even if they are descended from maggots. <laughs> you know what? I respect them for that. I respect them for that and their wrestling culture. <laughs> their wrestling culture. Oh yeah, they do have wrestling posters up. I feel like Rick Riordan is like drawing on a lot here, just with that little detail. Mm. Um. Just like the history of wrestling is intertwined with the history of like a circus show, right? It is a place where you go see a show. Uh, and there is a history of like like people with dwarfism or just like also just short people, just like people who are very short, uh, just like being wrestlers and people coming to see them. And that is like mm-hmm. a that that is like a big and important component of wrestling history. And, you know, you can look at that with, like, uh, sort of Lucha Libre and, oh, what's the, what's the term? Um, oh, uh, like, Mini Estrella Wrestling, uh, like, uh, or you can, with, like, wrestlers like Mascarita Sagrada, or uh, you can, who I, who I admittedly only know because I think he was in uh, Lucha Underground. Well, if it's, if it's any consolation, I don't know who the fuck you're talking about, so you're more knowledgeable than me. <laughs> That's fair. Um, or just like, you know, there there's a whole you, you get wrestlers like Hornswoggle in uh like, you know, American wrestling. And I think that he is he's drawing on a bit of that imagery here is my assumption of just like, ah, the funny little guys are coming to wrestle. Considering that Kane Chronicles featured a funny little guy who wore speedos when he went into combat, I think it's safe to say that he's aware of this. I I imagine so. Requiring is not the nicest man, I would say. No. <laughs> uh, because I I fucking hate some bullshit here. Uh, they meet they meet uh, a bartender uh, who doesn't have a beard, and Magnus is like, "Oh, his clean shaven face was so disgusting. It makes sense why they would want to hide their faces with beards." <laughs> Can you fuck off for a minute, please, Rick? I mean, I guess, I guess we can't necessarily assign that to Rick. It could just be like Magnus being a little shithead. I guess so. Ah, I, I feel like beards are one of those like one of those big aspects of like cultural beauty in a way, you know. Mm. Uh, just like, hey, if if I guess this is like a thing with like masculine ideas of beauty, right? Like, if, if you are fat, you want to hide your double chins with a beard, but you have to mm-hmm. make sure it's groomed properly. Or like, if you have like a you know just a, a facial feature, you know, grow a nice beard. And I, Rick, being like, I don't, I don't know. This this rubbed me the wrong way. 
Um, but I'm I'm hypersensitive to. I was hypersensitive because Rick Riordan loves to make fun of people who he thinks are ugly. No, this is this is true. He does do that. So I don't. I, and also the fact that this is not like a point that is elaborated on in any way. I think you can. It's justifiable to read that as just like Rick soapboxing a shit opinion. Oh, quickly going back to the world tree. Hmm. It's brought up that the the thi- it's brought up that the strength of your need is what guides you through the world tree. Like whatever you need will take will make sure like you will be brought to a certain location on the world tree based on that, right? And if you are bad at baking, you are properly fucked. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> very good, Jane. Thank um, you. And I, the way that it's put in the book. Just like how you have to follow your need to get where you need to go. This feels like another thing of like, hey, when you're homeless, you do what you do so you can get what you need to live, right? Uh, I yeah. think the power of need is really important to emphasize here. Like you need to eat, you need a place to sleep. These are all key things and need really does guide people in that way. And like, the, the depictions of these characters as like uh sort of wanderers or just you know it it i think that is a nice little pairing uh to emphasize that idea yeah i think like to your point about that it's notable that like when um magnus and blitz show up in Folkwagner, they don't like blitz does not try to get around the fact that they've obviously been led here because they need freya's help they just kind of like they have to play the hand that they're dealt. There's no, they don't really have like the resources or the time or any kind of like privilege they can leverage to get around this. They just have to eat shit. Yeah. And I think like on the one hand that is like, that's very useful if you're a writer because it means that uh, you can sketch out a relatively simple plot and have a reason that the characters aren't going to try and get around it. But I do think it does like complement that point really well. Right. Definitely. I think, and I think part of that, like, you know what uh, also is another thing people need? Uh, human connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, or interpersonal connection. Magnus hyper-focuses on the idea that he and Blitz are family as soon as he learns that. Yeah. He he really cares about that. Like, he, Blitz and, you know, he he's like, I like that I'm your cousin at all, kid. But, you know, it doesn't mean that much. Um, Magnus really seems to care about it. Yeah, definitely. And I, I get that that makes sense as like you know, we, we know that Magnus is tight with at least one of his cousins. Yeah, or well the he hasn't been for years. That's the thing, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's part of why it ma- it was so important when she did show up. And he doesn't have much family left otherwise. Uh at least ones who he knows care about him. And so I think that all, even though Blitz has been taking care of him for years already, I think like learning this fact really just pushes Magnus over the edge to like invest new ideas into the relationship, which mm. is just like that. That's an interesting bit of characterization that I didn't really expect. Yeah, it's 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 just it's a it's a sweet moment. I think. Wait, sorry, uh, I just remembered another thing that happens. So uh, Taylor Swift is also. I think they say that tw- Taylor Swift is dwarf music. And Magnus, Magnus's mental image off the back of that is like Taylor Swift's mom and Freya going for a night out together in um, Nidavalli. Why is he imagining Taylor Swift's mom and Freya fucking? <laughs> I is he ima- Which of them is he imagining getting the? Is he imagining 
who who's getting pregnant here? Who's getting the other pregnant? <laughs> I don't think they're getting each other pregnant. I don't think that's how that works because then it wouldn't be dwarvish music. Oh, I guess you're right. Oh, they're going out together. To, oh, oh, okay. They're not. I mean, maybe sort of, but they're like the they're going out on the last together. I see. I see. <laughs> Magnus is insane. Look, I, I like Magnus think... a lot as a character. I would never accuse him of being well-adjusted. <laughs> I, this is wild. You don't think... Normal people don't think about that kind of thing. Although, considering the, the place that your mind immediately went on that, I also would not accuse you of being well-adjusted. Listen. <laughs> You're right. But obviously it went. To, that's where your mind went to, considering you said the thing before I could. <laughs> dwarf culture i think in general here or i guess uh the sparta sparta elf culture mm. uh, is very uh i think we we get some good detail it, 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 it feels like a tried and true like world here yeah and you know i like that we're being like oh here is real world person to connect to this world and kind of uh give it a bit of grounding in reality and we're using just like some fucking pop singer instead of like i don't know thomas jefferson again uh, yeah no i mean that is, that is better right the disclaimer i don't know shit about taylor swift or her personal views so if you are about to tell me that she believes some truly horrible things i i believe you i i guess she just came out as straight what so okay do you know about gaylers no okay so there's a big thing on I would say Tumblr and Twitter, mm-hmm. probably a little bit of Reddit too, and other places uh, where people have a big conspiracy theory that Taylor Swift is gay or at least or bisexual. Right. Um, they they think that she is dating her sort of female friends and that uh, she is sending coded messages in her songs, videos, and concerts uh, because her her like uh, the like radio executives and stuff won't let her come out. Right. Uh, for instance, like there was a concert she did with a bunch of other, like there were images of a bunch of other Taylor Swifts. And one of them was like at a closet door, like, you know, like, you know, she has her whole thing about like all the identity, all, all the identities of Taylor or whatever. Right. So this is, this is proper like Pepe Sylvia corkboard, red string murder wall bullshit. Yes. For the most part. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and she recently released sort of, uh, she like re-released a bunch of her songs, um, and had some like n- notes with each of them. And one of them was that at one point, like, you know, because she's, you know, famously everyone is like, oh, Taylor Swift's dating. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the whole big joke. Um, she was like, I, I stopped uh, dating guys and I started trying to focus on my female friendships because I thought no one would ever be able to sensationalize or sexualize these. Well, I guess I was wrong. And the the Gaylers went wild. <laughs> uh, they they were like, wait, what is she saying here? Like, what is she implying? <laughs> like, is she trying to like, wait a second. Is she what does she mean by this? A, a straight icon of uh, dwarf music. I, on the one hand, the idea of like coming out as straight is like an idea that instinctively makes my hackles raise. On the other hand, if like people would be like that loudly speculating about my sexuality, I can kind of understand why she like was explicitly like fuck off. <laughs> uh huh. Well, she yeah. It's 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 a whole thing. 
Um, I'll, I'll send you Tumblr posts about it later. <laughs> I need to see Spot Elf Tumblr. I need to know what that looks God. like. God, please. Uh, do you think they would go into like their blogs with the same way they talk about like chairs and cups and shit? <laughs> this is uh, fujoshibulma.tumblr.com like made by made by me. Uh, you have when you when you go on the blog, you have to say like, "Oh, nice theme," or like, "Ooh, uh, good posts," so that the blog doesn't get mad because it has it has a soul in it. I really admire the way you harassed a Steven Universe storyboard artist in 2014 or something. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> but I I like all the ob- like the object shit, like you know their their histories and their souls and whatnot. I think that's that's a yeah, fun, that's you know, that's really cool actually. I, I listen. Uh, I think like Rick Ride environmentalism once again kind of popping up in these books, like with Ron kind of talking about like oh all the absolute all the garbage that humans throw out and like all the disposable shit they produce and then from blitz's perspective talking about how like dwarves basically don't do planned obsolescence which i love Uh that for them yeah like god yeah all the shit they make is like high quality and like designed to be like worthy of so it has to be so good that it's worthy of having a name and a history that's kind of awesome yeah my favorite one is Boom Daddy, Magnus's cup, uh, <laughs> which which the bartender describes uh, in just the other in a very dusty roads way. If anyone knows who that is, uh, nope. if you take the last sip, boom, Daddy, it's just it, it's a very funny way to phrase it, you know. Why why does the the mug explode if you finish the drink? Who can say? <laughs> Who's to say? How do you wait? How do you clean it? I don't think you do. Uh, yeah, it's just, there's just the like residue tur- from years of other drinks in the bottom of it mixing into whatever you've poured into it this time. It's like eternal still. <laughs> you know eternal still? Uh I from from the from the name I think I can guess, but tell me. It's basically like you can theoretically create uh, if you keep a continuous fire going and like scoop out the ingredients and stuff, you can theoretically just have one eternal stew going on for years and years and hundreds of years. It's apparently been being done as we speak in the world. I'll I'll, I'll send you a YouTube video about it later. <laughs> anyway, you show me so many interesting things, Jacqueline. I thank you so much. This is with the J- the Jacqueline explains things to Jane Corner, and now <laughs> I'd like to explain which of these characters are not so sad. Uh my 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 pick for not so uh, I think I'm going to go with Taylor Swift's mom because I think uh-huh. ja- Jacqueline has presented a compelling argument that she's fucking Freya. I think so. <laughs> I was going to go with Freya. You think she's not making out sloppy style with whatever other characters are getting pulled into her story? Yeah. Listen, there there, there must be like female uh, dwarven jewelers as well. There must be. There must be. I guess we haven't Freya met Freya strikes me but... as someone who'd be gay for pay. Utgard Loki is also gender fluid, but no one will respect that. It's like, oh, you're copying Loki. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awful. I came out first. Oh, yeah, you're just doing it because Loki did it. <laughs> oh, our intro and outro is Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony. You can find that at OC Remix. Our cover art is by Vera at Innsmouth underscore N on Twitter. 
We are hosted by the Moonshot Podcast Network. You can find us at moonshotpods.com and goodfuckingpodcast.com. November 11th, mark your calendars. It's Extra Life. Tune into moonshot.move. Keep an eye on the Twitter, all that, because I will be there in person doing Extra Life shit. You'll be there in person. I will be there on the stream live <laughs> with, with, with with other people. With We will be at a house. We will be at a place. <laughs> we will, we'll, we'll all be in one house. My God. Also... If you want to find us, you can go to twitter.com slash unwisegirls, co-host, Tumblr, Blue Sky, I fucking guess we had to. Uh, you see, you seem to object to the fact that I made us a Blue Sky again. I, I think I even said, like, oh, I guess you should do that. <laughs> I approved it and everything, but, you know, I don't have to be happy with it. Uh, we <laughs> You're post, giving me the Freya you know, treatment over this. <laughs> We've... Uh, the, God. Jane... Are you sure about that sweater? <laughs> I'm wearing a sweater. Fuck you. It's a really nice sweater. <laughs> I'm sure it's a very nice sweater. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, we post uh, when episodes go live. We post a funny joke. We post visual companion. We post other thing. Uh, you can support us by leaving a five-star rating interview on your podcast app of choice, by telling a friend about us, by doing all sorts of shit you can go and leave uh uh your money for us at <laughs> patreon.com slash unwise girls where for a dollar a month you can get the discord role of certified chaser for three dollars a month you can get the discord role of mid guardian as well as all of our bonus content uh speaking of which uh we've been doing uh some spooky stuff for october and halloween by the time that this episode goes up uh, our uh, new episode where we discuss Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and a lot of the like queer themes and subtext in that movie will be up, uh, as well as in that episode we discuss the Doctor Who episode The Waters of Mars. And for $5 a month, you can get the Discord role of Thor's Hammered, all of our bonus content, and a special thank you at the end of every single episode. Speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank uh, Mint, Isle of Sammy's Great, Danny, Tana, Bree, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye-bye. Bye. ghosts what about monsters or haunted houses evil furniture stores cannibalism doppelgangers childhood mysteries that involve a strange cult or a scary clown if you answered yes to any of the above you may be eligible to become a patron at the dead letter society's library of terrors dead letter society is a book club podcast about horror mysteries thrillers and all genre of things that go bump in the night Every episode, me, Marn, and my wife Alyssa pick a book from our Library of Terrors to read, then come together to discuss it live on air. Which characters do we get too attached to? What plot twists shocked us? Which scares fell flat and which had us jumping out of our seats in anxiety? Which character deaths made us lie down on the floor in anguish? You'll just have to join us here in the Library of Terrors to find out. Dead Letter Society is a proud part of the Moonshot Network. You can find us on Twitter at DeadLetterPod, and you can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you soon at the next meeting of the Society.